Welcome to uh, the final part of our series called Relational Intelligence, and I was so excited to, to dive into today's message. Um, I'm really, really excited about, about this one. I haven't done a message like this in a, in a long time, unfortunately. Um, we've been talking about friendships and marriage, and today I'm talking about singles and single people. Come on, all my single ladies, come on, wave them up like you just don't care. All right. Okay, so... Come on, if you're single, raise your hand. Just raise your hand if you're single. Look around. Who knows? You know, you never... No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Scope, scope the land. Y'all know y'all do that. You know you do it. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, don't sing a ring on his finger. It's terrible singing, but it is the truth. <clears throat> um, I... I I, I want to actually just start out with this because I, I, I don't think we've done this well, and I want to just publicly apologize to every person that is a single person that's in this room. Um, I don't think our church has done a good enough job um, speaking into where you're at in your season of life. So I just want to say on behalf of myself and myself, um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry we haven't spoken into this more. Um, this, is a, this is a big deal, and I know it's a big season of your life, whether you're 16 and single or 60 and single or anywhere in between. Um, God has a lot to say to you, and come on, you're not done yet. God's got a lot of great things for you. There's a lot of great stuff that he wants to do, and so I just want to say I'm sorry on behalf of our church if we have ever made you feel like you were uh, not enough or that you didn't fit in. You are welcome here. We're glad you're here. This is God's got great things in store for you. And hey, we got a lot of people that have gotten married up in this church because they came to this church. So if that's your desire, we'll see. And the reason why I wanted to do this message was uh, for a number of reasons. First off, according to the U.S. Census, 45% of adult Americans are single. Did you know that? 45% um, are single. And so this is a really large um, a number in our nation. And it's 110 million adults that are single right now. And right now, more and more uh, adults are getting married later in life. Uh, how many, just by a show of hands, how many of you got married uh, under the age of 23? Raise your hand. If you got married under the age of 23, okay, all right. You got married over the age of 23, raise your hand. Okay, okay, so we're about half or so. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> so Lindsay and I got married at 21. And, and now, you know, when 21-year-olds want to come to me and tell them they're getting married, I'm like, you sure? Has your brain really formed completely yet? Like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I, I, we did. We, we, we got married at 21, and we're still going. And so uh, I, I think it's, it's a lot less about the age, and it's all about the stage and the stage of life that you're in and stage that God has, has for you. And so God has a lot to say about this. Uh, and, and, and here's what I know. The greatest man who ever lived was single. Jesus. Um, just want to make sure y'all knew who that was. <laughs> Some of y'all look like y'all were thinking for me. Who is that? Is that, is that Trump? Is that, is that what is that? Okay. The, the greatest theologian that ever lived, Paul, was also single. And he has actually a lot to say about this life. And so I want us to jump right into God's word today. And we're going to talk about the, the single life. But I, I, I want to say this. If you're married in here, don't check out. Just as much as I've been doing marriage messages and telling the singles not to check out, 
If you're married, don't check out of this message because a lot of what I'm going to share um, is applicable to every relationship that, that you're in right now. And so, all right, let's go. First Corinthians chapter 7, where we're going to start today. Um, and this is what it says. It says, let me correct this a little bit here. Um, sometimes I wish everyone were single like me. A simpler life. Come on, how many, how, who's married in here that would said when you were single? It was simple. It was simple. How many, how many know it's, it gets a little more complex when you get married, and then how many know it gets real complex when you have kids? Uh, it's a simple life in many ways, but celibacy is not everyone, uh, it's not for everyone any more than marriage is. Let me just say this real quick. Notice that single and celibacy were together. I'll just let that sit right there. Just put that there for us to do that. We'll talk about that one maybe a little bit later. All right, next, next verse says this. Now watch this. God gives the gift of the single life to some, and he gives the gift of married life to others. I do, though, tell the unmarried and the widows. Watch this. This is what he tells them, that singleness might well be the what? The best thing for them as it has been for me, but if they can't manage their desires and their emotions, they should by all means go ahead and get married. The difficulties of marriage, come on, he's preaching, <clears throat> are preferable by far to a sexually tortured life as a single. <laughs> he's really preaching now. <laughs> all right, so we're going to dive in today to this idea of singleness. Now, um, I hadn't done this in a while, and I thought this was a perfect message to, to do this, and that is that oftentimes before I preach a message, I will get on uh, social media and ask a question just to kind of poll people that, that, um, that follow me and, and then our church, and so I, I did that this week, and there was an overwhelming response, um, over 130 comments on this one question, and the question was, it was a, kind of a two-part question. And it was geared towards those who were single. And it was, for those who are single, what is the best part of being single? And what is the hardest part of being single? And, and, and being that it's been almost 17 years since I've been a single person, um, I, I felt like single people have the best voice to speak into this message and tell me what it's like. Because I want to craft a message that speaks into what you're walking through and maybe the emotions that you're feeling. So let me give you the best parts of some of them. Now, I'm not going to go through all 130 because we just don't have enough time, um, but I'm going to give you some of them, the highlights of them, and this is what it said. The best part of being single, watch this, a couple, couple thoughts here. Independence, not having to check in and answer to anyone. It's just my own person. Just get to do what I want to do. Come on, that's nice. Watch this next one says, I can do naked yoga. Whoever wrote this, let me just tell you, I can do naked yoga too. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't. Is that, is that? We okay, babe? We good? All right. That's another message. It's another message for another time. Being single is fun. You get time in the season to sit back, relax, get to know who you are and what's important to you. You come to realize what you want out of life and draw close to God and find where he wants you and who he wants you with. Come on, that's good. That's really good. Watch this next one. 
truly finding myself, realizing my worth and, and that I would never be good enough for someone until I was the best version of myself, I wouldn't trade single years for anything. They have been my most valuable years of my life. And this last one, they said, not having anyone annoy me. That is, that, is, that is truth right here. Now, the same person also shared what the hardest part of them being single, and this is what they said. Hardest part of being single was not having anyone annoy me. Watch. Then let me share some other hard parts of being single. So people's comments. Still no boyfriend? There's so much more to me as a person than being a girlfriend or a wife. I'm, I like talking about my job, hobbies, or Jesus, not just my relationship status. Can I get an amen from single people in the house? Okay, watch this one, though. This one, the one was probably the most convicting because it just made me do some soul searching um, and some evaluations of our church. And it says, in the church, it seems like married couples are viewed as one unit. And without a spouse, many look at you like a car with three good tires and a flat and you need to be fixed. Yeah, watch, feel this. You need to feel it. If you're married, you need to, you need to hear this even more. Um, look at the next, next one. It says, this is, he continues this, and he says, in your 30s, there's generally some activities geared towards singles, but after that, not so much. You don't fit into most activities and groups because most things are geared around family. It's an extremely tough spot. And I do, I realize that, and, and one of the comments even was said that, you know, oftentimes most single uh, sermons are geared towards younger singles. And if there's anything that I found out in the, the comments of many of you was we have so many men and women that are in our church that are older that are still single, or older because of um, divorce or widowed. And so, um, so how do we navigate that season of my life? How do I navigate when I'm older than 30 and 40 and 50 and maybe 60 and, and still navigating this season of singleness in my life? This other person said this, watch. They said, feeling like you're physically alone and everything that comes with being an adult weighing on your shoulders alone. Just imagine that. This other person says, trusting another person, especially after being in an abusive marriage. This other one said, finding someone who respects your values and beliefs, trying to believe that people are being honest about what kind of relationship they're looking for, and trusting their parents raised them to understand the difference between love and lust. These are some honest answers. I love it. Watch this last one. It says this, dating in today's world seems like a whole lot of toads. Um, they're out there, and they aren't looking for love or commitment. Uh, we, come on, we need some more princes in this world, all right? So... This is, this was very eye-opening, to be honest with you. Um, it was very challenging to read. Um, my emotions were stirred, and as y'all heard last week from my beautiful wife, empathy is not my number one gift, um, but compassion was, was such a, a thing I, I wrestled with this week, thinking of many of you, and, and thinking of you sitting in this church and, and some of you being in a church that's this size with this many people and what you're struggling through because you, you walk out and there's no one. You don't have anybody. And maybe you're raising kids alone. Or, um, and I understand. I, I, I've never been there myself. I've been single, but I haven't been single with kids. And I know there's challenges that come with that as well. So today I wanted to just share kind of three thoughts with you when it comes to being single. So whether, whatever, whether you're in high school and single or you're an older adult and single, I hope today's message encourages you in this 
season that you're in in life. And if I could sit down with every single person that's in here that is single and have coffee with you, there's, there's kind of three ideas that I would like to get across. There's three truths about being single. And I, I, I titled today's message, Single, Secure, and Satisfied. Single, Secure, and Satisfied. And I want to show you how, how, how you get that and how you do that. Number one, you don't have to wait to be great. You don't have to wait to be great. Now, you probably have seen that somewhere in this building. We have it on a big old wall in our kid's wing. It says, you don't have to wait to be great. And it was geared towards a slogan to our kids to let them know that they could do great things now. They didn't have to wait to be adults to be great. Can I say the same thing to every single person in here? You don't have to be wait, as well, uh, wait to be great as well. The Bible says, according to this, it says that marriage is a gift and it says singleness is a gift. Now, here's one of the things that, that I know more than anything is that every time you're in a certain season, the enemy wants you to look into the next season. So when you're in high school, how many remember this? When you were in high school, everybody was asking you, where are you going to college? Where are you going to college? Where are you going to college? You get to college and everybody's asking you, what are you majoring in? What kind of job are you going to get? You get a job, you settle down, you get a job, and then, then all your parents start asking, when are you going to get married? When are you going to get married? When are you going to get married? Then you get married and they start asking, when are you going to have kids? When are you going to have kids? And then you have your first child and they start asking, when are you going to have the second child? I'm like, I'm trying to deal with this one, Okay. You give me two, and then, and then you have two, and then, then you have another, and you have a third, and then you have a fourth, and then they start asking you, when are you going to stop? <laughs> Come on, is this not the truth? This is, listen, and this, this happens often. We go to the next, and the next, and the next, and the next, and you know, you're young, and you can't wait to drive, and you can't wait to get out of the house, and then you can't wait to get married, and then you can't wait to do this. And here, here's what I know. When we're always so consumed with what's next, we miss out on what's now. What's next always always, always is a place where we miss out on what's now. Like, you don't have to wait to be great. Like, you can be great right now, and I don't care what your social status is or your relationship status is. Like, don't look for the next. Look for the now. Like, what is God doing now? What is God doing in your life now? It, the, the lie is that it's greener. The grass is greener on the other side. How I mean, no, that's a lie. The grass is greener where you water it. So wherever you water it, you can have the grass is greener on, on that side. And, and so we've got to get into this understanding and, and get the right framework and the right mindset around singleness. Paul says singleness is a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift that God gives you and I. And if we're, we're so consumed with what's next and so consumed with this idea of when, when I get married, then I'll be able to do this. There are things right now as a single that you can only do now as a single you probably won't be able to do when you get married. And all the married people said, there's elements of that. It, it makes it more challenging. Makes it a lot more challenging. He said this is a, a simpler life. And there are just things that can happen in this season of your life. And so don't live like you're waiting. Live like you're living. Like, let's go. Let's, let's get moving. Let's, let's do all that God's called us to do. I believe as a, as a single person, if a singleness is a gift, you need to view your presence as a present to the world. When you walk into a situation, your presence is a present. Like you are a gift to those around you. You are a gift to your friends. You are a gift to your job. You're a gift 
to this church. Like, you don't have to wait to be great. Don't waste these years. Invest these years. How many know this is a season where you can read more, lead more, learn more, grow more, go more, do more? There's just so much that you can do in this season. And what I see most people doing is they waste their single years, not invest their single years. Because what you do now, you will eventually see in your tomorrows. So don't invest it. I read a, I read a survey that, that uh, <laughs> most 20-something, um, by, the, by, by the time a male hits 25 years old, he's played over 15,000 hours of video games. So do you know that you can, <laughs> do you know you can master a craft at 10,000 hours? You can master, like you can master something with 10,000 hours. Now listen, I'm totally cool with video games. I'm not like, we're not video game band. My boys play video games, it's all cool. But my boys are boys. And like, as you get older, come on, how many know you can waste it or you can invest it? You can waste your time, you can invest your time. You can put it into things that matter that get return. And in the single years, you don't have to wait to be great. This is what actually, what he says in verse 17, because watch, watch how this plays out. Because here's how the enemy works. I want you to see how the enemy works. The enemy wants to take your greatest gift and make you despise it. And by the way, this isn't just for singles. Like when you get married, one of the greatest gifts God gives you in a partner, how many know eventually he wants you to despise the gift that he's given you? And so this is what Paul says. He says it in verse 17. You go down a little bit and he says this. Don't be wishing that you were someplace else or with. It's almost like he's talking to single and married people. Hey, single people, don't be wishing you were in some other season in some other place. Hey, married people, don't be wishing you were with someone else. Where you are, come on, say it. Where you are right now is God's place for you. God, what do you want for me right now? Where he's got you right now, doing what you're doing right now. This is God's place for you. And watch, he goes on and he says this. Live and obey and love and believe right there. God, everybody say God. Not your Defined your life. God, not your marital status, defines your life. Jesus isn't defining singleness as a season of being alone. Jesus is defining a singleness as a season of being more with him. God, not your spouse, defines your life. Don't be wishing for another place don't be wishing for another person. This is where God has you right now. And what ends up happening, ready, watch this, is that when we get on social media and we start to scroll, and what ends up happening is the last or two weeks ago, we talked about guarding your heart. Y'all remember the difference between a wall and a gate? I'm going to tell you one of, the, one of the worst ways we don't guard our heart is, is through social media. And if you've gotten off of social media and you're like, I feel bad about myself now. I feel worse about myself now. Single people, I'm looking at all these married people. Oh, man, it'd be nice to have married. Nice to have a Valentine. Man, it'd be nice to have this. Man, it'd be nice to have that. And, or you're on the other side where you see all these other single people. You're over here trying to honor God, trying to live right. And then you see all these other single people living like it's spring break every day. 
at the bar, at the club, at the this, at the that, and you're like, I don't want that life, but I, I don't know if I want that life. And like, you're, you're in between these two, and I'm going to tell you, this is the thing. The quickest way, the quickest way to, to lose gratitude for what God is doing in your life right now is to compare your life to someone else's. And that's not a, that's not a singles principle, that's an everybody principle. The quickest way to lose gratitude in what God is doing in your life right now is to compare your life right now to somebody else's life. How many know you're always going to find someone who's living a life that you think is better than yours? Hey, watch this though. You're always going to find someone who's, who's much worse than you are too. And so we got to watch out for comparison. Comparison can get us in a really, really bad trap. And I, I, I want to challenge every single person in this room, do not allow the voice of the enemy in your singleness. You need to learn contentment, you need to learn gratitude, you need to learn security, you need to learn safety, you need to learn confidence, all of that right now. Why? Because you're gonna need all of that when you do get married. Because how many know discontentment is gonna happen in marriage too? Not being grateful, not being secure, all of that's gonna happen in marriage as well. This is a season for you to learn it more than anything. So number one, don't, you don't have to wait to be great. Number two, a ring or a relationship does not determine your value. A ring or a relationship does not determine your value. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says this, we are God's, what? Everybody say it with me. We are God's masterpiece. 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 Come on, look at somebody tell them you're a masterpiece. Come on, tell them, tell them that right now. Now, if you bow your spouse, you've called them another piece, but that's, it probably, <laughs> probably wasn't a masterpiece. You need to start changing that, maybe. <laughs> you are a piece from the master. You are custom designed. Psalms puts it this way, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Babe, you're my masterpiece. You are a masterpiece. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. But the enemy, watch this, the enemy comes in and begins to speak into your mind, and especially even through the scrolls of our phones, and says this, you are not enough. You are not enough. You're not skinny enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not strong enough. You, know, you don't have enough money. You're not old enough. You're not young enough, and you just hear these enoughs and enoughs and enoughs and enoughs and enoughs. And so what we do is we take on more makeup, we change things, we try to do things to make ourselves look more better. But can I just tell you, listen to me closely. Stop trying to fix what's not broke. You're not broke. You have everything that you need. Now, can we get healthier? Absolutely. Can we push away from the table? Yeah, probably. But, but at the end of the day, we have to value who we are. God made me the way that I am. God created me the way that I look. I have to, I have to just own what that is. I am a masterpiece by God. And you are too. And you don't need a ring or a relationship to tell you that. Because I, I want to show you how valuable you are. This is what 2 Corinthians, I mean, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, that same, that same chapter, look, look what he says in verse 23. Because God paid a what? A high price. A high price. You weren't on sale. 
Like God paid a high price for you, so don't be enslaved by the world. Okay, ready? Listen to this. When you know how much you're worth, you'll stop giving people discounts. Every single girl, look at me. You don't, you, you don't have to give yourself away to feel valued. If no man values you for what you are, for who you are, and for your worth, he, does, he doesn't deserve you what one bit. Don't settle for crumbs. Like God says you're so worth it, and, and all of us in here need to understand that you've been paid with such a high price. You are more valuable and more, you have more worth in his eyes than you could ever imagine. But the problem is we don't understand that. We don't receive that. We don't walk in that. And because we don't, we allow people to get discounts of us. So this happens in our lives constantly. When you don't give something the right value, you don't protect it like you should. When you understand something is extremely valuable, it goes in very, very protected places. You lock it. You lock it. You protect it. That's why Proverbs says, guard your Guard your heart. 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 Like, it's, it's the gate. It's not the wall. It's the gate. It's, it's not, I'm not trying to trap myself in, but I am, I am not allowing access to everybody and everything. And I'm going to tell you, social media is us allowing access to these things, and we've got to be careful. Listen, you, you don't need to pose a certain way for you to feel worth. You have worth. Proverbs would even say it this way. Proverbs 31, verse 10, a wife of noble character, who can find? She is Wor Come on, everybody say it. She is worth far more than rubies. Notice, this is a woman who understands her worth. A, a wife of noble character. Well, how do I become a, a wife of noble character? Ready? You have to first be a woman of noble character. A woman of noble character. Listen, you don't, get a, you don't become a, a wife of noble character because a ring gets put on it. You're a wife of noble character because you're a woman of noble character. How I many know this ring don't change nothing? I don't put this ring on and then all of a sudden like I'm like, ah, you know, it's not. When this ring comes off, I'm still me. Put this ring on, I'm still me. Jacked up, unempathetic, got all the issues that Lindsay wanted to tell y'all all about last week. Okay. Driving issues, anger issues, okay? When I, this, isn't like, this isn't like Gollum on Lord of the Rings, like, my precious. <laughs> and I put it on, I'm like, ha, 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 ha. Look at me now. It doesn't work that way. Like, listen, a marriage is not the answer to your problems. Marriage just reveals your problems. The two lies we believe all the time. This is the lie. Single people, here's the lie. I just need a marriage. When I get married, then I'm going to get better, and then I'm going to get this, and then I'm going to get that. If you're married, the lie is, I just need a better marriage than what I have. Or you believe the second lie, which is, I just need more money. But here's what you need to know. Marriage and money are magnifiers, meaning they just magnify what's already there. Give someone a lot of money, and you find out their true character. Take away the money, you find out their true character. Put someone in a relationship, you find out their true character. Marriage doesn't create problems, it reveals them. Come on, married people, preach it at me. 
Marriage reveals issues. So what ends up happening is I spend all of my time for, for who I want that I don't focus on who I'm becoming. And so in this season of, of your life, I, I just wrote this down. How do, you, how do you know how to find the right person? You set a value on yourself where you don't play hard to get, you are hard to get because God has something of so much value inside of you, you don't give it away cheaply. Like you play hard to get because you are hard to get. You look at a guy and you go, you want this? You're going to have to work. You're going to have to work for it. And I'm telling you right now, there's too many women that give it away too cheaply. The Bible says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Notice it doesn't say he who finds a girlfriend finds a good thing. No, he finds a wife. And the problem is most women don't want to be a wife. They want to be a girlfriend, but then they complain because all they attract is boys and not men. And if you want a man, you got to be a wife before you put the ring on. The ring doesn't make you a wife. The ring just makes you my wife. But what makes you, and the same thing for men, men is the same way. A wife of noble character. Well, guess what? If it's a wife of noble character, she ain't settling for a chump. That man's going to have to be a man of noble character. And so for all the men in here to be men of character, to allow this to be a season of your life where you're working on your character, you're working on your relationship with God, you're working on letting God do what he needs to do in your heart, I want to be the one for my one So understanding in this season of your life, if you're single and, and have a desire at some point to get married, listen, it, 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 I, I don't believe you're not married because you're not ready yet. Because the truth is, are we ever ready? <laughs> married people, come on, are you ever ready? Do you ever have enough money? No, okay, there's wisdom, of course. But I think this lie is like, I'm just not ready. I guess I'm just not ready, and that's why God hasn't brought anybody my way. No, no, I, I don't know if I technically always believe in that. I, I do believe, though, that there are things that God wants to do in you, and if you don't allow him to do that in you and make you who he wants you to be, you'll mess up whoever he gives you. And, and, and if you think that marriage is the answer to your problems, what's going to end up happening is you're going to get married, and that person's going to become your problem. Because you've put so much weight on them to be the answer to your problems that now when they're not the answer to your problems, you're going to say now they're the problem and, I, and here's the cycle. I need a better marriage. I am preaching up in this house way better than anybody is amen in me. I'm trying to save you. I want, listen to me. This is not a shamed message. This is not a condemning message. This is a message I pray you will take to heart because I will save you thousands of dollars in many, many heartaches. And a lot of bluebell ice cream that you won't have to eat. <laughs> Les Perret, Dr. Les Perret says it this way. If you try to build intimacy with another person before you've gotten a hole on your own, all your relationships become an attempt to complete yourself. And can I tell you this? And, and, and when Lindsay and I sit down and do marriage counseling with people and wives are complaining to us about their husband, it's never because they lost their six-pack abs. 
it's always character issues. You know what's sexier than a six-pack ab? A man who loves God. Now listen, they need to be fine too, because you gotta lick, you gotta get up every morning and look over at them. You don't want to be like, uh. <laughs> okay. So you need to be attracted to them, but you can't build it on that. Can't build it on that. It needs to be character issues. It needs to be a, a, a man and a woman of character, people that understand that they have. So I, I just wrote this down. Beware of any person that you have to constantly make excuses for. Beware of any guy that you have to keep dragging to church. Beware of any girl that you have continued trust issues with. Beware. Listen, I think dating is the one place there shouldn't be grace. <laughs> Give grace in marriage. But when you're dating, if, it, if they keep doing this thing, you'd be like, oh, sorry. Bye, Felicia. You out. You're done. Because whatever they do consistently when they're dating, they will do even more when they're married. Okay? All right. Number three. Everybody good? Y'all all right? We good? I know this is kind of heavy. Everybody, oh, God. I'm, not, I'm, I'm just so passionate about this because I think a lot of people do it wrong. And I think a lot of people get their cues from culture, which is the terrible place to get it from. It's a terrible place to get it from. So you don't have to wait to be great. You can be great in this season of your life. No ring or no relationship ever dictates and determines your value, ever. And then number three, focus on your purpose and trust God for your partner. Now, you may be in a season of life where like, you don't want a, a spouse. That's perfectly fine. You're perfectly good without one. But if you are in a season where you do eventually want to get married, I just need you to hear me focus on God and then just trust God for the partner. Song of Solomon would say it this way, promise me, O women of Israel, not to awaken love until what? Until the time is right. Until the time is right. And I think this is often the problem is because we awaken it too soon. We, we take things out of time. And here's what ends up happening. Because we're desperate, because we're lonely, because we want security, because we want this, what we'll do is we'll take our love life into our own hands and we'll rush something and we'll, we'll, we'll settle for the wrong person in the wrong time. This is what sin is, ready? Sin is... Anytime we try to meet a God-given desire, not in God's intended design. Anytime you try to meet a God-given desire outside of God's intended design is sin. Okay, so listen, is marriage good? Yes or no? Yes. Okay, every married guy, this was your opportunity, okay? <laughs> yes. Is marriage good? Yes. Is sex good? So, some of y'all don't want to even explain that one. Yes. Yes. Is money good? Yes. Yes. Are relationships good? Yes. Yes. All of those things. Food, good. Come on. Amen. Yes. Yes. All of them are good. All of them are gifts and all of them are from God. But anytime you try to meet those outside of the way God told you to meet those, it's sin. It's sin. So if you're having sex right now outside of the confines of marriage, you are in sin. 
and there's grace and there's mercy. When you make it right, though, you gotta make it right. Because we want the blessings of God, we just don't wanna do it God's way. So we say, God, I want you to bless this, and God goes, I will bless this, but I can't bless it until you do it the way that I told you to do it, because a fire is great when it's in a fireplace, but it's terrible when it's in the living room. It burns the house down. And so sex is good, and marriage is good, and food is good, and all of these gifts and all of these great things are good, but anytime I'm trying to do these things outside of the way that God told me to do it is sin which calls us to come to a place to recognize, hey, listen, ready? Listen, listen. God is not withholding anything from you. When God says do it this way, it's not because he's like, he's trying to take the joy out of it. He's doing it this way because he knows this is the best way to do it. When you do it this way, you get all the joy in the world. And I can stand up here and say, and put my hand on a Bible and so grateful for him, I did not have sex until I got married. And there's not many men that can do that. My wife did the exact same thing. And guess what? I'm the best person she's ever had. (laughs) And she's the best person I ever had. And there's no shame and no guilt. And listen, and and I understand, and I know a lot of people look back and go, I wish I would have done it that way. I know. And God, God restores and God redeems and God heals. But I'm just telling you, it's possible. It's possible. And I want to stand up and, man, if I could champion not just virginity, but champion purity. I don't want my kids just to avoid having sex before they need to. I want them to champion purity. I want them to be pure of heart pure of eyes, pure of, y'all with me? And everything in our culture nowadays is trying to come against that. Notice that the one place that we see sin's greatest impact was in the area of sexuality and it was in the Garden of Eden because they were naked and unashamed. And as soon as sin came in, they were what? Ashamed. And they hid. And guilt. Because that's what sexual sin does. But I know that scripture says this, watch this. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches. There is never a need that Jesus cannot meet. And I think this applies in relationships just as much as it does in money, just as much as it does in Whatever area of your life, Jesus knows your need, and he even knows who can meet your need, and I think he's even designing those people to come in and help with those needs, but at first, we've got to realize that he meets our needs in certain ways that no one else can. There are needs that only he can meet. Now, this point is is that to focus on your purpose and trust God for your partner, and the reason I say that is because your purpose is way too great for you to be distracted with anything that's dressed in attraction. Your purpose is too great. And one of the stories that I love is the story of Ruth. Uh, Ruth, we're gonna read in chapter two, is a, she's single, she's pursuing her calling. She at one time was married, her husband died, so she was single again. 
And, and she went back and was with her mother-in-law, and there's a whole story that comes along with it. But I want you to read uh, chapter 2 with me, and then we're going we're gonna to close. It says, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in, in sight. I shall find favor. I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field and after the reapers, and she, what? Happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, who is this young woman? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. Next verse says this. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. I share this story because Ruth is a single godly woman. She's busy. She's working. She's not waiting. And I think a lot of people feel like singleness is a stop sign. It's not. You can continue to do all that God's called you to do. She wasn't looking for a man. She was just going to work, doing what God called her to do, stepping into all that she needed to do to provide for her and her family. She's just working. And on top of that, she's one of the hardest workers that this guy has. He says, man, she's here from early to late. She barely even takes a break. She's always working. She's doing all this. I mean, she's going after it. And I love that part. It says, and she just happened to be up in Boaz's field. And Boaz shows up in the field, I'm sure riding on his horse, check on all of his fields and go over, goes over to his property manager and he's looking at all the people doing all the work. And, you know, uh, Ruth is just a poor kind of servant girl. She doesn't have much. She's out there working her tail off, and Boaz spots her and says, whoa, who's this girl? Hey, this, oh, this is Ruth. She's from the Moabites. She came. She's with her mother-in-law. She wanted to see if she could work. And something drew him to her. If you know the rest of the story, he calls her out amongst all the other ones, and he steps down, and he begins to strike up a conversation with her. And if you know the story, he, he, he tells her, hey, I'm going to pay for everything. You can continue to work. Um, and, and he gives her favor, gives her favor, gives her favor in the fields, takes care of all of her needs. But then the ultimate of the story is then he proposes to her and he marries her, puts a ring on her finger. She becomes his bride. This story is much more than just Ruth and Boaz and their connections together and their love story. This Ruth and Boaz story has a much bigger purpose. And here's what I want you to understand. Because she was just working, focusing on her purpose, focusing on what she did. And God brought a helper. God brought a purpose partner to come up alongside of her and marry her. This is a story, though, that would be played out for generations to come. Because from Ruth and Boaz, they would have a son after they get married. They would have a son named Obed. And Obed would have a son named Jesse. And Jesse would have a son named David. And David, down the lineage in the house of David, there would come a king. And his name is Jesus. And it all started with a girl just working out in a field and just happened to be in Boaz's field. How many know in God's world, nothing just happened? Come on, how many know God was doing this? <laughs> playing, playing matchmaker here. Now the story of this is, is much more than just us learning that you can just work and God brings someone. 
story is way bigger than that because the, this story is a foreshadowing of Jesus. See, Boaz and Jesus are synonymous because Boaz was born in Bethlehem and years, 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 years later, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And Boaz, his name was Kinsman Redeemer. That was the title they had given to him, was a Kinsman Redeemer. And the title that they gave Jesus was Kinsman Redeemer. And Boaz stepped down off of his horse into the, the, the life of Ruth in all of her poorness and brought her out of the poorness and made her rich. And now, you know, Jesus steps down into all of our filth and he makes our life rich and he called her by name. And how many know we have a savior who calls us by name and Jesus made her his wife. And how many know we are the bride of Christ and he makes us his wife. And how many know you look at this story and you go, this is so much bigger than this. The, the obedience of her was to perpetuate the, the plans and the purposes of God. She didn't know by just going and hanging out in the field and working her, her, working hard in the field would eventually lead to one day her being the great, 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 great grandmother of the savior of the world. And I'm, I'm just telling you this, so I want you to hear me. These single years are a gift. God is working things out. And if you have a desire one day to be married, God will bring that, but you don't know that, that decision, that one decision that day, what it affects for the rest of the generations to come. Now, some of you in here go, well, I don't, I don't even feel like I deserve a Boaz because I look back at my life and just have destroyed relationships and so much pain. Well, that's the beauty of this story, that you have a kinsman redeemer that can redeem anything. If your first marriage was terrible. doesn't mean your second one has to be. Like God can redeem anything. God can redeem any broken situation. If you're in here and go, man, I've messed up sexually. Come on, I mean, oh, God can redeem that. If things have happened to you, God can heal that. God can redeem that. So today, I don't want you to walk out with shame and guilt and condemnation. I want you to walk out to be encouraged that Jesus loves you so much. He paid the highest price for you. He knew your filth. He knew your mistake. He knew what you messed up with, but he loves you so much. So if you're married and miserable, Jesus loves you. And he can heal and he can restore and he can redeem a broken marriage. And if you're single and lonely, and you got God, I just need someone. God can be a kinsman redeemer, and he can come and he can meet a need and fill a need that you need there. My God shall supply every need according to his riches and glory. Father, we love you. And today, we invite you into this moment. We invite you into this place. And God, I, I first, I pray for every person that is in here that is single and, 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 and just walking through a difficult season in this season of singleness. God, I thank you that you meet every need. God, I pray for them that you would help them to begin to see perspective that you have for this season of their life, that it is a gift that they do have value and they do have worth that is outside of what anybody brings into their life. It's what you bring into our life. It's what you've done for them. And God, I pray, Lord, that they would understand the worth that they have. God, I pray, Lord, for those that are believing for you to bring a, a spouse their way. I pray that they would focus on the purposes of God. I pray that they would focus on who you, you are calling them to be and who you are making them to be. God, I pray that they would focus on not what they do not have, but on what they do have. 
and what you have given them. And I pray, Lord, that you would surround them with, with friends and people that can help lift weight and help them walk through this season. God, I pray these would be sweet, a sweet season where they encounter you like never before. Encourage them in this time. God, I pray for those that have, are maybe single because of pain. Whether it's the death of a, of a loved one or the death of a relationship. God, I thank you that you come in and you are our kinsman redeemer and you can heal any pain. You step into our mess. You step into our brokenness. You step into our poverty and you make us rich where we're poor. You make us strong where we are weak. You give us grace where we fail. We thank you. We thank you for that.